So today's message, I entitled this, The Power of an Indestructible Life. It really talks about the life of Jesus himself, life that is indestructible, cannot be destroyed, cannot be destroyed. Huh, not, a, not a good message for Easter. First slide, death. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if you've already lived, you're living on your own, left your parents' home, you know, not living with your parents anymore, you understand what death is, what it means to be in debt. You know, all of us pay bills, uh, mortgage, car payments, uh, credit card debt. You know, this is the reality of modern life. Now, many of us have to go in debt just to get things in this life, right? I know some of us, we graduated from school uh, with the help of this thing. <laughs> uh, and... And praise God for those people who lend, who help us, you know, in those times. Did you know that in Scripture, it says that sin is a debt that needs to be paid for. It is something that needs to be paid for. Now, let me go through a passage that's very familiar to all of you. And it's called the Lord's Prayer. I believe it's one of the most well-known prayers in, uh, in the Bible and probably well, one of the most well-known uh, verses in scripture. But this prayer ought to be called disciples' prayer. I mentioned this several times before. It ought to be called disciples' prayer instead of Lord's prayer because of this passage found in that verse. In Matthew 6, 12, it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive as we've forgiven our debtors. You know, this verse, by this, this prayer is found in two places in the Bible. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, which you're reading right now. And it says there, forgive our debts. And it's also found in Luke chapter 11, verse 4. Uh, actually, in chapter 11, this is where you find also the Lord's Prayer. But what you notice in Luke 11, verse 4, it says, forgive us our sins. Hmm. It's different than what we read in Matthew uh, 6. So there's two, those are two different words, right? We know what debt is, right? Uh, something that you need to pay back, uh, something that you owe someone. Uh, and basically, uh, what this prayer is saying that Lord God, pay our debts for us or cancel our debt. Cancel mo yung utang or utang in the Filipino language. But the, on, 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 in, in verse 4 of Luke, it says there, sins. And sin is, means missing the mark. You're not able to meet God's standard. You know, God has this specific standard for us, and we need to meet that standard to be accepted by Him. But Scripture tells us that we are all sinners, meaning we're not meeting that standard. Now, it's interesting that the gospel writers interchangeably use death and sin. I mean... We've seen this happen here. And, and there is such a thing called a sin debt. That, that is why this prayer is probably never, yes, it's never prayed by Jesus because Jesus does not have a sin debt. I mean, he, he could not have prayed this and say, forgive us our sins, right? Jesus does not have a sin to be forgiven. But, but definitely we need this prayer because we have a sin debt oh, that needs to be paid for. Now, question is, question for all of us, if sin is a debt that needs to be paid for, why does God require, or what does God require as payment for sin? What does God require as payment for sin? I know we... We've experienced this Holy Week. I know for, for in this country, the Holy Week is not, is not really very significant for many people, right? It just, we just pass through Holy Week without much, much going on, right? Unlike, unlike in other countries, a lot, a lot of other countries, they really seriously celebrate the Holy Week, especially Holy Thursday and Friday. There's a lot of 
you know, things going on in different countries, but not in this country. But, and we probably understand the answer to this question, but let me just give an answer based on scripture. What does God require as a payment for our sin? And the answer, one of those answers is found, or the answer is found in one of these verses, uh, uh, Hebrews 9.22. It says here, indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood. And this is the answer to the question. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. No forgiveness of sin. It requires the shedding of blood. That's why Christianities are open branded as cannibals because the word blood in the Bible is mentioned a lot of times. A lot of times. Another passage. It says there, it says there the blood and I have given, given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It, again, in another passage in Leviticus, it says, blood atones for our souls. Basically what it says, it pays. It pays for your sin. It covers your sin. So, so the question, to answer that question, uh, for God to forgive our sin debt, what does God require? Blood. The atonement. Shedding of blood. Then why, does, then why does God require the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin? Why is it that he requires blood for the shedding of, of uh, you know, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin? Answer to that, it's in the same passage we just read earlier, uh, Leviticus 11, 17, 11 says there, for life of the flesh is in the blood. Why does God require blood for the forgiveness of sin, shedding of blood? Because life of the flesh is in the blood. To make it clearer, another passage in, in Leviticus as well. For life of every creature is in its blood. The blood is life. Or blood is life, basically. Blood is its life. This is what the Bible calls the law of atonement. Sorry. It's called the law of atonement. And you think you need to remember this. What is the law of atonement? The shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. One life, if you use that other passage, the last passage we read earlier, it says, one life pays for another life. That is what God requires for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you ask God, Lord, forgive me for my sin, then God will say, I require the shedding of blood. I require a life to pay for your sin. Another life to pay for what you have done. Every time you commit a sin, God is saying, for you to be forgiven of that sin, you have to pay it with the shedding of blood. Life has to, another life has to pay for it. That's what God requires. Because God is not just going to say, oh, I'm going to forget your sin. I'm going to cancel everything you've done. I will, not, I will ignore it. It doesn't work that way with God. Sin has to be paid for. And it has to be paid for with another life. Another life has to pay for it. You know, this law of atonement predates the law of Moses. It predates the Ten Commandments by thousands of years. In fact, this law of atonement was given to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Remember when, when Adam was naked after he committed sin, Adam and Eve were naked. What did God do? He killed an animal. God killed an animal. That was the first time an animal probably was killed ever. But it was God himself who killed an animal, removed the leather or the skin of that animal, and used that to cover Adam and Eve. And I believe it was at that moment that God revealed to Adam the law of atonement. And we know that this is very early in the Bible because on the next chapter, in chapter 4, the fourth person on record Abel, fourth person, fourth human being on record, Abel, was already giving sacrifices. Amen? He was already giving sacrifice. He was sacrificing, uh, uh, um, you know, his first uh, unblemished, firstborn uh, um, 
animals on his, on his, among his flock, probably a sheep. Yeah. <laughs> he probably sacrificed something like this, uh, Abel. And, and during the time of the Israelites, this was, God has specific requirements for this. Whenever they sacrifice animals, like, like an unblemished lamb. This was one of the requirements, an, an unblemished lamb without defect. And also a high priest, a high priest. You know, the high priest acted as a mediator because uh, no one can just come to God on his own terms. Person has to be prepared to approach God because the Bible says without, apart from holiness, no one can see God. Apart from being perfect, no one can see God. And, and so those priests back then in the Old Testament, they require sacrifices for themselves so that their clean, sins will be clean, cleansed and then they can sacrifice on behalf of someone else. And so this is what Israel did for a, for a time. Animal sacrifice, sacrifices, life of an animal to pay for the sins of men. That's unfair, right? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to kill Blackie to pay for your sins? Or Brownie? Or, uh, this is how we call our dogs back in the Philippines. <laughs> it's black dog, Blackie, brown dog, black, Brownie. Hmm? Whitey. <laughs> but that, this is God's command for Israel during the time. That life paying for the sins of man, life of an animal. But there is a problem with this. There is a weakness with this system. There is a weakness with this system. The first weakness of this system, of this process, system is... This high priest needs to be replaced all the time. You know why? Because that high priest is going to go grow old one day and he's going to die. Or he's going to die of sickness. The priest in the Old Testament, after they die, have to be replaced by the next generation, right? Every generation has to have a high priest and, you know, after they die, will be replaced. That, that is why back then... In the Old Testament, the, all the priests come from a specific lineage. It comes from the lineage of Aaron. And that all these people that comes from the lineage of Aaron. And Aaron, by the way, is the older brother of Moses. And God has ordained that every descendant, or the, you know, the priesthood of Israel come, should come from this line of Aaron and the descendants of Aaron. And, and the reason why God did that, because people die. Human beings die. And so, so everyone in that line, once the person dies, he gets, he gets replaced by someone else. And once the person dies again, replaced by someone else, and, and so on and so forth. That's one weakness. The priest does not live forever. Second, this lamb, truth is, it does not really pay for people's sin. It does not pay for anyone's sin at all. Any kind of animal cannot pay for man's sin. <laughs> Bible reveals this already to us. But in his sacrifices, there is a reminder, uh, there is a reminder of sins every year. So, so these sacrifices are just a reminder of sin. But, verse 4 says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Impossible. The Bible says it. So well, uh, basically that system is ineffective. In fact, the book of Hebrews says it is useless. That entire system is useless. Now consider this. I want you to think now with me. What if you have a high priest that will bring sacrifices to God and that high priest lives forever? will never die. And the sacrifice he presents before God is perfect. It's a perfect sacrifice. It will perfectly represent you. I would say that's a game changer, right? 
it's going to be a game changer. A person that does not die and his sacrifice is perfect, this is the power of the, of the life of Jesus that is a life that is indestructible. A life that is indestructible. Because this person who lives forever and offers the perfect sacrifice is only Jesus Christ, only the Son of God. It is only the Son of God. He is a man who lived among us, perfectly represents you and me, all of us. He represents you. He represents David. He represents Al. He represents Clay, John. He represents all of you. Jesus represents all of you. But another thing about amazing about Jesus, he lives forever. He lives forever. That's, this is what the resurrection reveals to us. Now that I've given you all this information, I think we're ready for our scripture reading because now you understand what this verse is talking about. So, so let's read the scripture together. I'm going to ask you to stand at this point because I want you to have some little bit exercise because you're... You know, it's good to stand a little bit, stretch a bit. <laughs> and let's read this passage together. Uh, I want us as a church to read this aloud. Hebrews seven fifteen to 27. Let's read this. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. It's become... By power of an indestructible life, it is witness of him. Next, next slide, Josh. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of his weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on one hand, a better hope is introduced. To which we draw near to God. And, and it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Wow. That's the Lord bless the reading of your word. May you may sit down. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus, this Bible, this passage says that Jesus, he is not only the high priest, the mediator, by the word, by the way, by the way, the word priest means mediator, somebody who stands between you and God. Jesus not only stands as a high priest that stands between you and God, but he himself is the sacrifice. And what's amazing about Jesus, unlike those earthly priests who, who dies eventually, Jesus lives forever. And he can continue to offer sacrifice for you forever. Of course, he did it, he did it only once and for all, for all of, all of us on the cross. So let me give you seven things in, as we go to the just uh, last half of this message. Seven things, things uh, in the life of Jesus that testifies to his indestructible life. Testifies to his indestructible life. That cannot be destroyed by anything. Not even death can hold him. He was crucified. He was buried. And he rose back to life. That is the indestructible life. You read about it earlier in that passage. 
the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. So, seven things, seven events. So let's go through this, each of this quickly and, and try to connect this with our own life as well. First of all, the virgin birth of Christ. The virgin birth of Christ. You know, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is called the last Adam. The last Adam. You know, the virgin birth ensures, you know, this explains why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. This ensures that that Jesus is without sin, without the corruption of sin, without the effects of the sinful nature in his life. You know, Adam, that's why Jesus is called the, the last Adam, because the first Adam, the Adam that we all came from, when he was created by God, he was sinless. You agree to that? He was sinless. He was without sin. And Jesus, when he was born as a man, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that conception by the Holy Spirit allowed Jesus to, be, to come into this world without the sinful nature, without anything that related to sin. He was not corrupted by sin. He was like Adam when God first created, when God created Adam. And in fact, we know that Jesus is the son of God. He is the word, the living word. He was with God and, and he was God and he became flesh, became a human being. We know that passage in John chapter 1. But Jesus was fully man as well when he came into the world. He was fully human. And and like you and me, he experienced joy, he experienced pain, he experienced suffering, hunger, thirst. He had loyal friends like you and me. And, and he had, there, were also, there, were, there were traitors also <laughs> in his life. And there are also traitors in your life, right? Friends that are not loyal to you. Um, and he experienced discrimination. He experienced poverty. He experienced injustice. His crucifixion was an act of injustice, right? He didn't do anything to deserve to be crucified. So that was an act of injustice as well. People love him. Some people hated him. Some people were good to him. Some people took advantage of him. They only wanted food from him. So Jesus identifies with you. We can identify with him. That's why the Bible, Scripture calls him Emmanuel, God with us. He walked where I walked. He stood where I stood, right? We know that song. He understands. <laughs> that is the virgin birth. Where Adam, where, where, where Adam failed... You know, Adam was created sinless, but he failed to maintain that sinlessness. Jesus succeeded, which leads us to the second thing of regards to Jesus' life. It is the blameless life of Christ. It is the blameless life of Christ. Let me read to you just one passage in relation to this. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus being the high, pri high priest, your representative. Who is unable to sympathize with our weakness? Yes, Jesus is able to sympathize with you. I just mentioned a lot of things in Jesus' life. And you have gone through those things as well, right? So he's able to understand you. He's able to understand your weakness. He's able to sympathize with you. And it says here, But one who in every respect has, not, has been tempted. Jesus has been tempted in every way. As we are. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. Now let me show you the temptation of Adam in the garden. Do you remember what the serpent told Adam? This is what the serpent said. When the woman saw the tree was good for food. Eve and Adam, of course Adam was there as well. When they saw the tree was good for food, it was a temptation that relates to the flesh. It's the lust. Oh, sorry. Related to the eyes. Or flesh as well. Sorry. It's, it's lust of the flesh. Because it was delicious. So 
It was loss of the flesh. That was that, that was the temptation that was that was presented by Satan to, to Adam and Eve. And the second statement, this is what again the serpent said. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so loss of the flesh, pleasing to the eyes, so that's loss of the eyes, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. The third temptation is pride of life. I want to have wisdom. I want to be popular. I want to be this good. The people can, you know, praise me. Remember those three kinds of temptation. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Now, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in in Matthew 4, these are the three things that Satan did. If you are the son of God, command the stones to become loaves, loaves of bread. What is that? Lust of the flesh. Satisfying the hunger of the flesh. Then, then again, another temptation. Then Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from the top of the temple. And your angels will rescue. So of course, we know that the temple, there's a lot of people there. So if Jesus is going to throw down himself. And Satan said, we know, I know the angels, they're going to rescue you, Jesus. So throw, throw down yourself. And the thing is, if Jesus is going to throw down himself, a lot of people are going to see that. And they're going to say, wow, that's amazing. Jesus falling off a building and he was rescued by all this angel. That is the pride of life. And lastly, see all these kingdoms of the world. Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. And, 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 and he said, I will give all this to you if you fall down and worship me. Loss of the, of the eyes. You see? Same temptations. Kind of temptations. With Adam, Satan did not change his strategy. Right? He did not change his strategy. And what we find is that Satan failed. And Jesus succeeded. Jesus was succeeded in resisting Satan's temptation. That's why scripture tells us that Jesus lived a blameless, unblemished life. That is why he is our perfect sacrifice. Just like that unblemished lamb we saw earlier. Third, the sacrificial death of Christ. Let's read this passage in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, not only that Jesus perfectly represents you because he lived the life you live, he understands you, he understands your struggle, he understands your weakness, he understands your struggle with sin. Jesus understands those things. That's why he is our perfect representative. But not only that, Jesus is our perfect representative on the cross. Though he was born without sin, though he was sinless, he lived a blameless life. What does the passage says? What does he say? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Meaning, Jesus, though he was, he was without sin, God made him sin for our sake. God made him sin for our sake. And why is Jesus able to take your sin? Why is that? Imagine a cup. Jesus, in that cup, in his cup, there is nothing in there. There's no sin in his own cup. And all our cups are filled with sin. And Jesus is able to take your sin because his cup is empty. And what we did on the what what happened on the cross, all your cups, there's a bitter thing in there, maybe coffee that's already 160 days old and it's very bitter and you're carrying this dark 
thing all your life, black coffee, smelly, bitter sin in your life, and what happened at the cross, all of us, the entire human race, just poured that all our cups on Jesus' cup. All of us. All of us poured it on him. Of course, his cup was empty and he's able to take our cups. And of course, he is the son of God. <laughs> he is able to take all our cups. Pastoral cannot take your cup because my cup is already very dark. So, and it's not empty. And so that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took your sin. And we go back to what we talked about earlier. His blood for your life. His life for your life. That is the law of atonement. His life for your life. He atoned for our sin. He paid for our sins. He given his life in exchange for us, for our life, for our soul. And that's why we as Christians, we don't carry, we don't have crucifix anywhere, right? I hope you don't have any crucifix at home as well. Because this is what we believe. What Jesus did on the cross was it's already done. It's already completed. That is why, you know, a lot of churches, they have a series of sermons on, seven last, on the seven last words. And one of those words of Jesus, he said, it is finished. And when Jesus said it is finished, it was finished 2,000 years ago. Not yesterday, not this morning. 2,000 years ago, it's done. And that's why we don't have any crucifix. Because what Jesus did on the cross, is, has been, it's already completed. Never to be repeated ever again. It's a one-time thing that Jesus did for all of you. For all of us. That's what he did on the cross. In Colossians 2, 13-14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning to, talking about your sinful life, uncircumcision, God made alive together with him, meaning together with Christ, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death. Remember what we just talked about earlier? That's what Jesus did. Remember the prayer, forgive us our our debts forgive us our sin? Wow, that's the answer to that prayer. What Jesus did on, on the cross canceled the record of our debt. That stood against us and its legal demands. And he set aside. And this is this he set aside, nailing it, bang, on the cross. Nailing it. All our debts on the cross. Today we're going to celebrate uh, two souls today that are going to surrender themselves to baptism. And this is really what baptism illustrates, right? It is the death of your old life, the burial of your old life, the nailing of your sin on the cross. I, I explained to uh, our two ladies who are going to be baptized today that when, 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 when we surrendered a life to Christ, we were crucified with Christ. We were there with Christ hanging on the cross and, and being nailed together with him. And, and, and all your sins are all there being nailed together with him. And you were buried with him on that grave. But what happened? That when, you, when Jesus resurrected, you are not there anymore. You're, you're left either hanging on the cross or you're like under the ground. Because what happened is the life you live right now is not your life anymore. If you are a follower of Christ, it is the life of Christ now. It's not anymore Al. It's not anymore Jennifer. It's not anymore um, Divina. It is the life of Christ. Let's move to the next. Fourth one is the burial, quiet burial. Did you know that no one really showed up except for those two people? No one showed up for Jesus' burial memorial service. Jesus did not have a funeral service. Jesus did not have a memorial service. 
None of his 12 disciples showed up during his burial. Only two secret followers of Jesus. One was Nicodemus. He was hiding even from the Pharisees because he didn't want, you know, them to, to persecute him for following Jesus. And another guy named Joseph Arimathea of Arimathea. He also is described as a secret follower of Jesus because he was afraid of the Jews. He was afraid of also persecution. That's why those two people that buried Jesus were secret followers of Jesus because they were not willing to be, go public with their faith. And I praise God for the two, uh, for the two ladies who's going to be baptized today because they're not going to be like these two people here who buried Jesus. They are willing to go public with their faith and let the church know that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not afraid to tell the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. So the burial of Jesus proves to us that Jesus indeed died. You know, you have a Pharisee that buried Jesus. They know the laws. And Jesus was wrapped in almost 100 pounds, around 75 pounds, it says in scripture, but it, some said it was almost 100 pounds of spices, was wrapped around his body. Then he was wrapped with linen cloth. And by a Pharisee and a rich person, so they, they know. They know what they were doing. And, and we know full well, being buried for three days, wrapped in all those things, that Jesus is definitely dead. He was not, he didn't faint, he didn't just faint, he didn't pass out, he was dead. Why do we need to really know that Jesus is dead? Because of the next thing that's about to happen. Because in this world, really no one comes back to life after three days of being dead. Do you know anyone? Do you have a friend in your office that was dead for three days? I know there's a lot of stories about near-death experience. Uh, I don't know which one is true or, or just made up. But we don't hear this, right? person that's utterly dead started to, I don't know, what, what do you call it? Rigor, rigor mortis, right? Uh, so it happens on the first day, right? Yeah. Because of the next thing, the powerful resurrection of Christ. Ariel already preached about the resurrection, but I'm going to talk about what the resurrection brings. And this is already going to be quick because I'm out of time. What did the resurrection bring? Give us hope. Hope for new life. Resurrection reminds us that we're going to be resurrected as well. The resurrection tells us that Jesus, everything that he said about himself, being the son of God, being the way, the truth, and the life, everything he, 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 he declared to people, proves, resurrection proves that all of it was true. All of it is true. Resurrection also tells us that the, the sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross for your sin was accepted by God the Father. The resurrection also tells us that, that Jesus, which leads us to something else, his glorious ascension, because the resurrection actually leads to the ascension. And what also we find in ascension is that through Jesus' ascension, he is able to send the Holy Spirit to us. You know, remember that passage? He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for, to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is talking about, this passage is talking about the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the resurrection also tells us that we can live this life that Jesus wants us to live. We can live according to the will of God. We can do what God calls us to do. We have the ability to do it. Not because of our own strength, but because of the wisdom and the strength that the Holy Spirit will give you. That's why, Christians, we don't have to worry if you're able to do what God wants you to do. That, is, that should not be our concern. For me, let me tell you, I'm standing here, I don't have much training in this. Just one day I was working for AMD and one day God told me, Al, pastor church, huh? Are you sure? In fact, I, I was trying to run away from God. And I cannot explain to you why, how I am able to do this. But I know God is doing it through me. And, and 
if God is able to do it through me, who does not have much training in this, I'm not the kind of person who talks in public. You know, somebody knows that I'm a, I, I would rather be in my computer all day, which is, I really enjoy doing that. <laughs> That's writing code. But it is God who's doing this. He give, even my sermon today, I didn't know what to preach yesterday. I, what, Saturday, where we're still working here. Everything just comes together a few hours before the service. It's amazing what God can do through you, especially if you're more disciplined than I am. <laughs> and through the ascension, God gives us gifts, abilities. That's why we are all gifted by God through the Holy Spirit because of the ascension. And lastly, the exalted position of Christ. The Bible says, not only that Jesus was buried, he, he was crucified, buried, rose again to life, and 500 people, more than, I believe even more than 500 people, saw him alive after, after uh, his crucifixion and resurrection. And, and many saw him rise back to heaven physically. And, and not only that, after Jesus resurrect, resurrected, ascended, Scripture tells us he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that's why we call him Lord, because he is reigning now. He is the head of the church. He's the head of everyone who surrenders their life to him as Lord, their Lord and Savior. And what's amazing is he is the high priest sitting at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> he is your lawyer. He is your advocate. He is your representative in heaven. He prays for you, intercedes for you. That is more than any kind of high priest on earth can do. Much more, infinitely more. This is the power of the indestructible life of Christ. This was God's plan all along from the beginning. Every detail of what I've just shared to you. From the birth of Christ, life of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and he's seated now at the right hand of God in heaven. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ, boldly tell him, Pastor Al, I'm willing to surrender my life to Christ. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. I'll follow him as my Lord and Savior because he is your only hope. Amen? He's your only hope. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. Not even by your religiosity, good, de good deeds, whatever accomplishment you have in life, it cannot save you. Let us pray. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, this very moment, I ask your spirit, Lord, to speak to every heart. Lord, today we celebrate your resurrection. Reminds us, Lord, of our own resurrection one day. Reminds us of our own relationship with you, Lord. But there are people here, Lord, there are some here who probably don't fully understand what this is, what I just shared. Maybe this is just noise to their ears. But I pray, Lord, that even however little, Lord, from my message, they, will, they were able to grasp this, Lord, and take this into their heart. Lord, if there's anyone here who's still not sure of their own salvation, not sure what's going to happen to them, not just in this life, but in the next life. They don't know what eternity holds for them, Lord God. Lord, I pray for your conviction. I pray for your spirit to, 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 to soften their heart. Speak to them, Lord. Reveal to them your love. Reveal to them, Lord, that you gave your life to them to pay for their sins. It is your desire, Lord, to give them a new life in you. And Lord... I pray for, for, for their willingness, oh God. Their willingness, oh God. It's only by your grace that we are saved. So, so if any one of you today, just keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. If any one of you here today, anyone here, you have not given your life to Christ, surrendered your life to him, and he is not yet your Lord and Savior, I want you to just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. 
Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Amen. Don't be afraid. Just raise your hand. And you can tell him this. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you came to earth to live a perfect life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins to pay my debt. You were buried, Lord Jesus. And I believe you rose again after three days, giving me new life through the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, forgive me for all my sins. If there's guilt in your heart, if there's any sin in your life right now that you're guilty of, that is not normal. That is not something God wants for you. He commands us to confess our sins. What God wants for us is peace in our heart, peace in our mind, or we should not be carrying any kind of guilt or weight. And Jesus saying you, telling you, you know, give that weight to me. Whatever is heavy in your heart, give that to me. I'll, I can handle that for you. I can take care of that for you. And Lord Jesus, you tell him, Lord Jesus, forgive me for, of all my sins. I give all this weight, this heaviness in my heart, all this anxiety, Lord, all this fear. I give this to you, Lord. And take control upon my life. Take over, oh God. Take the driver's seat of my life. I trust you as my Savior, for you died for my sins. And I surrender my life to you as my Lord. And I am willing to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to experience what it means to live the life of Christ. In Jesus' name. And if you are a believer and you're still also struggling with things in your life, speak to the Lord. Talk to Him. Let us all rise up as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Uh, if you don't have a cup like this, um, uh, Joy, is, and can you help distribute the cups? We celebrate the Lord's Supper every first Sunday here in River Life. What I shared to you today is really the meaning behind what we're, what we're doing. In fact, if I'm going to read the passage that I always read here in church every Sunday, you know, the Apostle Paul received this from the Lord Jesus Christ through the, through the, through the, through the disciples and through the other apostles. And this is what, what Paul says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord... What I also pass on to you, for the, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take the bread, it really reminds you of Jesus' body being broken on the cross. It reminds us of the crucifixion. Not only the bread, even the, in the, even the blood. It says, in the same way the cup he took, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So everything that I shared you today is what a Christian ought to remember all the time. His, his birth, his perfect blameless life, his death on the cross for your sin, his burial, his resurrection after three days, his ascension to heaven, and his seating, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's something we should remember and memorize as Christians. This is our statement of faith. This is what we believe. This is, this is really at the heart, at the core of what we believe. 
And we, we should be united in this as believers as well. That Jesus died and he rose again. Died and rose again. So let me open this. It's a bit of a challenge. Uh, to go uh, cops because of course this is safer in this time of uh, you know time we're all trying to protect ourselves from the pandemic from the virus so I'm going to read this passage to you again and let's take this together okay wait wait for me if this is your first time <laughs> let me pray first Lord thank you for the blood and the bread that we're going to take in today, Lord. This reminds us, Lord, of your life. Lord Jesus, you are good and gracious. And Lord, reveal your goodness and grace to everyone here, Lord. Reveal your goodness and grace to them. Now when they leave this place today, Lord God, Lord, they will truly experience what it means to be, Lord, in your presence, the joy of being in Christ. But even, Lord, if they don't understand what it means to follow Jesus, Lord, they will experience your love. They will experience your power. They'll experience peace, oh God. And they will long for you, Lord God. They will desire for you, oh God. And they will find their joy and hope and purpose in you. And Lord, if there are many, some of us, Lord, among us, Lord, who are struggling in their walk with you, in their relationship with you, they are discouraged. Lord, renew their hearts, oh God. Restore the joy of thy salvation, oh God, in their hearts, oh God. Lord, anyone here who is struggling, oh God, who's, who's, who's Lord, uh, his walk is, is faltering, oh God, failing, oh God. Oh God, they are experiencing maybe depression, loneliness, whatever issue, oh God, even as a Christian, oh God. Lord, take hold of their heart. If they're struggling with sin, oh God, grant them strength and victory. Grant them conviction, oh God. Don't let their hearts harden, oh God. Don't let their hearts be callous, oh God. Keep our hearts soft and moldable, heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. This is what Paul, as he received this from the apostles, as he received this from the Lord Jesus Christ. For I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. This is passed on to us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this bread together, church. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blood that was, that was shed for our sins. The blood that paid for our sin debt. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together, church. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.